This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. So we left off with um, uh, with the, the family, Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, Kilian. They leave uh, Bethlehem because there's a famine. They go to the land of Moab, marry Moabite women. And then the husband, Elimelech, dies. The two sons, uh, Malon and Kilian, die. And now you have Naomi, the mother, and her two daughter-in-laws. They are the ones who are left without husbands. So let me give you an introductory thought on that that we covered last week, but let me just say that for a bridge to what we're doing now. Elimelech means God is king. Now, he left the promised land. He left the place where God said, it's here, I'm going to bless you. He leaves the house of bread. That's interesting, there was a famine in the house of bread. But he leaves. And what happens when he leaves? Well, he dies and his two sons die. His wife's name is Pleasant. She will one day call herself, no, call me Bitter, call me Mara. The kids' names mean song and they mean satisfaction. And you kind of put all these things together and you begin to realize that um, when God is no longer king of our lives, when the house of bread, the word of God, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, when God isn't king, we're not living according to the word, you know we can lose our song, Malon. We can lose our satisfaction, Killian. It's easy to do. Many Christians walk around a little bit too angry, aren't they? Maybe a lot a bit angry. And they lose their desire to worship and praise God. They lose a song. They lose their joy. And you don't have to lose this stuff, friends, at all. So let's pick up in verse 6 of chapter 1. That's, the, that's what's happened so far. Then... Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. I like that. Let me tell you, let me, let kind of get, let me paint a picture here. Um, you have three women. Uh, you have the mother-in-law, the two daughter-in-laws. They both, um, they've all lost their husbands. In that day and age, that time frame, that's not a good thing. Uh, because the husband really was the breadwinner. You really needed this person because otherwise you could end up on the streets poor and having to even potentially sell your bodies just to make ends meet. So it's a difficult thing. So they're sitting there and uh, they have um, shared trauma and shared pain. So they can relate to each other. Have you ever noticed that pain finds pain? That's true. Have you ever noticed that you date or marry people that have similar, maybe painful backgrounds? You can flip that and say positive. They may have similar positive backgrounds. But let's take it from a pain perspective because you have three women here and they've gone through some difficult times. You could say, as we say today, they are victims. And that's really tossed around a lot today. People are victims all over the place. Um, but I want you to notice something about this. It says in verse 6 that she arose. That's a big decision right there. You see, when you have shared pain with other people, you better be careful with the shared pain with other people. Because other people can keep you in that spot of pain. 
And once you stay in pain, you start to blame. And once you start to blame, you become lame because you cannot move forward in life and you believe that others should do for you because after all, you are a victim and it's not even your fault. But this woman arose. She's not going to go with the group pain. She's not denying the pain. She's not saying it never happened, but she's going to arise. She's going to rise up and she's rising up saying, I'm not going to play the victim role. Why? Because she has heard something. She has heard a truth in the land of Moab. She's heard there's food back home. Now hold that thought and let me turn with you because you got to understand Moab and where they went to when they left the promised land Israel. Moab, how did that begin? Well, go to Genesis chapter 19. And it's an interesting and um, bizarre story of how Moab began. Now, in Genesis 19, you have Lot, Abraham's nephew. And it says, Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. He's left Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife has died. She turned into a pillow of salt. She turned back. Verse 31, Then the firstborn said to the younger, these are the two daughters talking, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. In other words, there's, we have no husbands to give us children. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they're looking at an incestuous relationship now. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It came about in the morning that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine. Not a good thing to get drunk, huh? You could do some stupid things. Drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. Ah, now you see the beginnings of the Moabite people. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon. To this day. These are modern day Jordanians. Ammon's the northern part, Moab's the middle part, of course, Edom's the southern part. Um, but now you see how Moab began. And now you see how crazy it is for them to leave the promised land and go to this place, Moab. It has a, has a, a really a bad background to it. And we'll see more about that than just the name of it and everything like that. So they went back. Now, Naomi, who's not going to play the victim role anymore, it seems to me, she hears now that there's food back home in the promised land. Now, that, that's interesting because she hears good news. Now, I've called this, this teaching U-turns. She's going to make a U-turn because she's going, been going one way, following her husband who's now died. She's got to make a U-turn. Why does she hear that there's bread back home in the promised land? Why would there be bread now? Well, she's living, this is in set in the time of the judges. Judges are people who stand up and cause Israel to come back to God and overcome the oppressive nations that have oppressed them. 
So it seems to me that now they are obeying God because a judge is delivering them. And uh, now there's bread back home because now the country's obeying God. She hears this. She's going to go back. Now, she understands something at this point that you and I need to understand in our life. And you do know this. I'm not going to tell you something you don't know because you're smart. And that's this. All decisions, and I mean all decisions, have payoffs. Whether positive or negative. They made a decision to leave Israel and they paid dearly for it. She's going to make a decision now to make a U-turn and go back and she's going to receive some really good dividends in the long run. See, in God, it's never too late to make a U-turn. But you've got to be wise, friends. You've got to be like uh, the proverb says, the wise person sees danger coming and hides himself, doesn't walk that way, makes right decisions. You know, for just for purely from a, um, a uh, uh, financial perspective, you know you can make good financial decisions little by little by little, and in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you're, it's paying off, paying off, paying off. You make financial decisions that are wrong, bad now, deeper, deeper debt, things like that, buy things you don't need, deeper debt. It's going to take you decades to get out of that. Don't do it. Don't do it. You've got to learn to tell yourself no to bad decisions and yes to good decisions. She knows this is going to be a great decision. Now, verse 7. So she departed from the place where she was. I really like that line. She departed from where she was. Some of us are in a was right now. We're stuck in a place. And will we continue to say, well, this is just the way it is in my life. It'll never get better. I'm just a victim. Or will I depart? Or will I rise up in a great country like ours that has so much opportunity? And follow a great God who can open doors for you. If you ever think you can't have doors open for you, then you, don't, then you deny the existence of a great big God in heaven who loves you and you've forgotten your identity. Your identity is a child of God. She's going to depart from where she was. Yeah, life has been bad. Bad decisions have been made. But she's going to get up. And she's going to depart from where she was. And her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Oh, I like that. They're going back to Judah, southern part of Israel, Bethlehem's in Judah. Why is Judah, the word Judah, important? Because she lost her two boys, Melon and Kilian. Melon means song. Kilian means satisfaction because the father, Lemelech, my God is king, took him the wrong direction. They're going back to Judah. Judah means praise. She's getting her song back. You know, when you start making right decisions, your song's going to come back. But here, let me tell you something about Judah and praise. Um, even in the midst of bad times, don't lose your Judah. Don't lose your praise. Don't stop worshiping God. Don't stop fellowshipping. Don't stop any of those things. You should have your Judah, your praise on at all times. Verse 8 says, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So now she's leaving where she was. Naomi's leaving. She tells the girls to stay. And by the way, let me add a little comment here. She's leaving Moab to go back home to Bethlehem. 
There is a difference between a prodigal and a pig. A pig will stay in the mire, stay in the dirt, stay in the mud, stay in the old ways, stay in the victimology. Not a prodigal. A prodigal is going to sit there and say, you know what, it was better back home. You know, I can make a U-turn and I can get back home. I can, I can do the right things now. And I can see my life turn. I don't know the future, but I know a right decision to get back to a better future. There's a difference between a pig and a prodigal, my friends. Now, verse 9, as she's telling the girls, don't follow me. She continues this, this dialogue. She says, may the Lord grant that you may find rest. Now, if you have a Bible, underline that. I'll get to that in a second. Each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, what is she telling them when she says, "Go, leave me, God, may God help you find rest. Now, the word rest, if, <coughs> excuse me, if you look in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, it says, <coughs> Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security? For you, that it may be well with you. The word security there and the word rest over here, same word. So now when you bring it into full swing like that, you realize back in chapter 1, verse 9, she says to them, go find a husband. Go find security for yourself. That's what you need in your life. You need to find yourself a husband because you're still young. Now, <clears throat> what we're going to see in this book, and it's one of the great things about it, we're going to see Ruth, who's going to follow Naomi, the other Orpah will not. We're going to see how the proper way to find a husband goes about, how the proper way of romance is, of courtship. We're going to see it correctly defined in this book, and it's a great book. It's a beautiful love story as we progress on in the weeks to come. But she's telling them, look, uh, you, need, you need to go. Look, you need to go. You're young. Go find a husband. Verse 10, and they said to her, no. But we will surely return with you to your people. You know, Naomi must have been really nice to her daughters-in-law. Because why would they say, no, I don't need a husband. I'm going to make sure that you're okay. She must have been a pretty good woman. And you know what? That's a real testimony possibly to who Naomi, the mother-in-law, is. You know what mother-in-law is out there? Be a nice mother-in-law. Well, Jim, you don't know one of my daughter-in-laws or son-in-laws. They're like the devil incarnate. It don't matter. You be Jesus to them. You be nice to them. You be pleasant to them. And see what God can do in their lives. Because you know what? God gave them to you. And you may be thinking when your kid got married, I don't know about that one. I, I don't really want them for my kid. Don't matter what you want. Matter what they chose. Now it's the automatic will of God. And now be nice. And be Jesus to them. Why would you want to show them a Jesus that's mean and cold? That's not even Jesus. So do the right thing. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So be kind if you want to see them truly make a U-turn in life. Now, and maybe you're the one who needs to make a U-turn. Verse 11, um, but Naomi said, they said, no, we're not, we're not leaving you. Naomi said, return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Weird statement, but we'll get to the meaning in a second. Let me read two more verses to try to give more explanation. And then we'll, give, then we'll explain it. 
Return, my daughters! Exclamation point. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons. Now let me make a side comment and let me come back to this. She says, I'm too old. I can't have kids anymore. We'll find out in a second why she's saying that. My time has passed. Some of us out there feel like our time has passed on something. What do you do when you have the wisdom? Because she has the wisdom. She has life experience. What do you do when you have the wisdom for something, but your time has passed? Every one of us will face that multiple ways. There's a variety of ways that can happen. But what do you do when your time has passed on something and yet you have the wisdom for it? I think that's where you use your wisdom and impart that wisdom to others. Right? I think God has given us experiences and sometimes hardships and pains that we rise out of that victimhood to become more than conquerors, like Paul said, and now we have the wisdom to impart to others. See, don't just grow up to be some old, bitter person who just gets worked up and angry about everything. That's not Jesus. Impart wisdom. Impart love and joy and peace. Would you do me a favor? Would you really clock yourself this week? Not clock, well, maybe clock, but kind of look at yourself and say, am I just growing old and bitter? Am I just getting older and angrier? Do I just want to fight with everybody? Or am I ready to impart wisdom and love and joy and peace and everything else? Does that make sense? I hope so. Look at verse 13. Would you therefore wait until they were grown? She says, look, I can't. I don't have a husband. What if I get one? I have kids. I'm too old to have kids. But if I had kids, would you wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Now, they're harder for me because I'm too old. I can't have kids. Can't get it. But not for you, you're young. Now, here's what's going, here's what Naomi is talking about, because there's an Old Testament law. And to really understand what they're saying, you got to understand Old Testament law. God placed a law. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Now, watch this. It's, it's an interesting law, <clears throat> and it's got purpose behind it. But now, watch. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10 says um, When brothers live together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Interesting. So what should happen? Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Wow. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother, hmm. that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate, very important, remember, gate, in the weeks to come, to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. In other words, he won't marry me and give me a son for the sake of his dead brother. Then the elders of, this, of, his, of his city shall summon him and speak to him. 
And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face, and she shall declare, Thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. In Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. That's a put down, guys. Now, what's going on here, and how does it relate to the story? She's telling the daughters, look, I don't have any more sons. I don't even have a husband. I'm old. I can't get a husband. I can't have sons. And would you wait 20 years for them to grow up, and then they could be your husband, and then you're like a 45-year-old woman? Could you? you can't do that. See, because the law said, if your husband died, the brother now steps up, because she has, there is no children, no sons, and now he marries the, the wife, and that's kind of dicey. And... Uh, but that was the law, so she wouldn't be alone. And that raises up to have another a son to take the name of the dead brother because there's inheritance involved in all these things. But if the brother says, no, I don't want her as a wife. I don't even like her. Never liked her to begin with. Then he's in big trouble. And this is going to be a big deal, this law in the story of Ruth, as we see later with Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. So remember that story. But that's what's going on right here in this now, where are we at? Uh, verse, um, verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept. Now they're crying. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Oh, now we see uh, a division and a connection. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law, this is, Ruth, this is Naomi talking, your sister, Ruth, your sister-in-law, has gone back, Orpah's gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Ruth, Orpah's gone back. Ruth, why don't you go back? You're both Moabite women. Go back. Just do that. Now, <clears throat> that's, it's, gonna, it's interesting because they're going back to, she's going back to Moab, or Orpah. She's going to stay in, in Moab. Moab is the idea of a wash bowl, a toilet bowl. She's going back to the toilet bowl. Now, we could do a whole 45 minutes on this one because she's going back to the toilet bowl to find a husband. Anybody get convicted out there? Where do you look for a husband? What are your values in finding a husband? I could switch it. Man, what are your values in finding a wife? Are you finding them in the toilet bowl? Well, that's rather harsh, Jim. Really? Wait till you've counseled, you know, almost, I don't know, 500 uh, couples in your lifetime and seen the catastrophe of marrying somebody whose character is so low. There's so much pain by doing that. She's gone back. She's going to look for one in the toilet bowl. Not, not Ruth. Not Ruth. In fact, you know what Orpah means? It means to turn. Watch. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back. See, don't, I don't want to turn back. Orpah means to turn back. It means the nape of the neck. It means you could see him from the back. They're uncommitted. They're just, they're just leaving, man. They're just leaving. But Ruth says, do not urge me uh, to leave you or, or turn back from following you. <clears throat> For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people 
uh, shall be my people and your God my God. Now let me segue into, into a leadership kind of statement here uh, for those of you leaders. Um, and this is just a good principle of life so you don't get clingy or whatever. Orpah leaves. She don't want to stay. Ruth decides to stay. She's going to stay and be loyal. Follow. Now, Orpah leaves. Listen closely. If someone wants to leave, leader, let them leave. Let them go. That means they're not tied to your God-given destiny. They're tied to their own God-given destiny. Don't worry about it. Don't let abandonment issues come into play. Let them leave. Let them leave. They're not tied to your God-given destiny. But on the other hand, if you have people like Ruth who says, I'm not leaving you, Naomi. Well, now you have someone who's knit to you, who's going to be loyal to you, who's going to follow you. Those are the gold people right there for you. It's not that Orpah's not gold. She's going to follow another way. But the people who are knit to you and loyal to you, they're the ones, man. They're the ones. And they're the ones you got to really, you know, take care of and bless and, and, and everything else. But in life, face facts. Some people are going to be knit to you, and some people just aren't. No problem. Don't worry about it. Just be thankful that someone is knit to you, okay? It's just, that's a good thing. But I want you to notice the very end of verse 16. She says, she says your God is going to be my God. Hmm. You know why I like that? Multiple reasons. My first reason is this. Ruth is single again. She makes God number one. She doesn't make finding a husband number one the way Orpah did. She makes God number one. Let me say it again. She makes God number one. If you are only looking for a mate, guy looking for a gal, gal looking for a gal, if that's the whole point and you, that's what you focus on, finding that boyfriend, finding that mate, and not make God the primary relationship, well, guess what? You just might pick wrong. You got to let God work in there because you think about Adam. How did Adam get a mate? Well, Adam, God put him to sleep, he put him to rest. And he wakes up and there's Eve. And it's like, oh man. But if Adam would have cruised looking for a mate, he would have cruised the jungle. And what are his options? Gorilla, orangutan, ape, you know, that he would have settled. But he didn't settle. He did what God did, made God number one. He, he wakes up and there's Eve, probably cooking him some carne con chile, beans and rice. And, I mean, can you, man, it's okay. And she's probably pretty good looking. So, make God number one. Now, I like she says, your God's my God. Listen, single person, married person, every person, these two women are broken women. But only God can complete them. Every one of us, I'm included, we're all broken somewhere. We all have gaps somewhere. And only God can complete us. I've been married for 39 years uh, next month. It's great being married to Olivia. 
drives me crazy sometimes, but that's okay because I like the un unpredictability of women. It, it kind of makes me curious all the time because us guys are so logically linear, but she can't complete me. And nothing can complete me but God. Nothing can heal the wounds and the pain of my past but God. And I like that about God. So these two women understand only God can complete them. And listen, single person, married person, any person, only God can complete you. Only God can heal your pain. And by the way, if you get married with a lot of emotional, painful baggage from your past, you're going to have one hell of a marriage. Because that's going to seep in there and cause all kinds of problems. And you can say, all oh, you want, we're going to live on love. Yeah, about six months later, you're going to live on hate. So you need to heal up a bit, okay? Not completely, because no one's completely healed. And last verse Verse 18, it says, When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Wow, that's interesting. When Naomi saw the Ruth, it, I'm, not, I'm not leaving. She said, okay, come with me. Why was Ruth so drawn to Naomi besides possibly being that lady treated her nice? Uh, let me give you one little insight again into leadership, into what people follow. I think she saw the brokenness of Naomi. She didn't see arrogance. She saw broken women. And when you allow people to see the brokenness of your life, I think they respect you more. I think they're more prone to follow someone who doesn't think they have it all together. Now, last thought. This is a cool thought. Last thought. And I'm glad you stayed with me to hear this last thought. I like to always find out uh, a lot of what the rabbis think of things or their thoughts on things. <clears throat> you know what the rabbis say about Orpah and Ruth? They say that Orpah's name lends to being promiscuous. That's, they, this is what the rabbis teach. And they also teach that one of her descendants was Goliath. That's what they teach. Now, we also know, factually, that Ruth's great-grandson is David, who will fight Goliath that day in the Valley Elah. Look, there are right choices and there are wrong choices. And many times those choices affect our descendants down the road. So if you need to make a U-turn today, make it now. Make it now. Well, I'm going to end right there. Hopefully this blessed you, challenged you, edified you, and encouraged you. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.